Hey everyone, before we get to the episode, I'd like to share a little word with you from our sponsors, Odds Crowd. Are you the best football better in the United States? At Odds Crowds, our friends are challenging you to prove it this fantasy season with their epic free-to-play fantasy betting contests. One of my favorite things to do is be betting and not actually have to lose any actual cash. There's over $30,000 in cash prizes up for grabs, both season-long and weekly contests on NFL and college football. Here's how it works. Once you enter a contest, you place risk-free fantasy bets against real odds and lines, much like you would with any pick tracking app. The most profitable players are rising up the leaderboard. If you have the highest profit at the end of the contest, you win. And Odds Crowd isn't just fantasy betting contests. It's a social app for sports bettors. Free to download, you can live group chat with other bettors, track your bets, and set up private fantasy contests with your buddies and much more. So download the app for free or go to oddscrowd.com. Okay, uh, are you ready, Jake? Absolutely. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into yet another intro to Rookie on the Rise. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pumped to deliver Mr. Jake the Snake. Not Plumber, but Estes. One of a guy I truly appreciate on Twitter. He is continually and always delivering phenomenal content. You can find him on the Twitter sphere at dynasty underscore Jake. I am forgetting what he's a contributor to, but he is killing it. And his model is creme de la creme. It makes you not want to have a model because you can just look at his. How the hell are you doing today, Jake? I'm great. What an intro, man. Thank you. So before we get going, I want to do a question of the show, which is since we're both in the fitness sphere and we enjoy being relatively healthy, Weightlifting wise, uh, what is the stupidest mistake you made early on when you first went to the gym? Oh, um, let me think about that one. Stupidest mistake. It's been a, it's been a long time for me. So I've been doing this for about 10 years. I'm pretty sure that I actually used to skip legs. People who see it now probably wouldn't believe that, but I was, um, my first was getting in the gym. I was all about the accessories. It was, uh, it was all chest and arms mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. definitely had to hit the abs too back <laughs> in 2012. All right. So before we jump into our projections and we got a few of them, we're going to be diving into the NFC North every, excuse me, the NFC West, everybody. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, uh, we are going to be basically breaking down these rookies year one projections and then saying which of those projections we want to go over or under on just a fun way to kind of talk about rookies and how we expect them to perform this year. But before we jump into it, Jake, who is your, who are your risers and followers so far in your training camp? Um, okay. So I'm glad you asked. I'm actually writing an article that will be out in the next week. Um, and it doesn't tell you who my risers and followers are because I don't change much in the off season. Um, I use, I use the preseason and training camp as a type of affirmation or a note taking instance, meaning, um, and, and I highlight this all in the article. Oh, by the way, I'm writing for ball blast in your, thank you. Twitter. Ball blast. That's so, what I thought so this. Yeah. This article will be through ball blast. So if you're looking, looking forward to check it out in the next week or so. Um, and basically I highlight, uh, 
if, if, a, if you have, so it's important in my opinion to go in to the off season after draft with expectations, you say, okay, here's my best players. I have them ranked out. Or if you have a expert, you want to follow, use their rankings and say, okay, these guys are going to be the best. And then you go watch them play. And so for me, I use, I've, I've been high on Terrace Marshall. You have too. And then when you were already high on him and you see him doing well, you think, okay, well, this is affirmation. and It's affirming what I already thought. Now, however, say you get a guy like um, Kylan Granson. I'm not super high on Kylan Granson, but he's getting a lot of off-season camp uh, hype. So that's something I note. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to move him in my rankings, but I am going to note that he's been doing well. And if he pops in, in – um, in week one of the NFL season, then I'm thinking, okay, my rankings were off on that guy. And now I'm ready to make that transition. But until it's a regular season game, I won't be making any adjustments. It's a a affirmation or it's a noteworthy item. That's all it is for me. I like it. Actually, that's really well said. Me and Chris Lemur, the Lemurier, had a podcast about preseason expectations and how we anticipate and take in camp hype we're a little different but really you just you gotta you gotta take into the slow drum beat and you gotta listen to what it is um and the biggest thing is is that you the the one drum beat that i'm most concerned with that i i didn't have a lot of concern but it was something i was paying attention to is miles sanders because there's just been nothing but negative information coming out regarding his ability as a pass catcher and so you're just basically pigeonholing him into that josh jacobs uh sort of realm and i just don't think he's as good of a rusher as josh jacobs so it's just it's something that's causing me a little concern uh is miles sanders personally for being a faller moving forward but without further ado let's dive into the one rookie that we're probably going to disagree the most on sure that's jacob harris now, I have created a brand, apparently, of being a very anti-Jacob Harris person, uh, just because I don't fully know what people's expectations are of him this year. Long-term is long-term, and I'm not going to really put much stake into that, but it seems that most people are gung-ho on Jacob Harris' season for year one. So the projections for him are 10 receptions for 136 yards, an eighth of a touchdown, so basically a touchdown for 29 fantasy PPR points. Jake, do you feel comfortable enough going over on this entire line for fantasy this year? Yeah, yeah, I think I really, uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think 29 points is a lot. Um, the Rams have a history of integrating multiple tight ends into their scheme. Um, and then I'm also pretty high on Harris. I, I try to, I try to, so let me, let me, um, let me preface this. I am a rookie nerd. I love digging in and projecting and, and making those expectations of what I think a rookie is going to do in the NFL. So I obsess over these rookies really hard. But uh, with that said, I think he's going to be successful and he has a lot of the things um, that I look for in a tight end whenever they're heading into the NFL. And that's the dominator rating. That's his uh, speed size. So I say speed, that's his 40 to 40 time, his weight and his speed score. So, so all three of those categories revolve around how big is this guy and how fast is this guy. So what's interesting about Jacob Harris is he's 220 pounds. That's a big receiver. That's a very small tight end. So that tells me something, immediately tells me something. Because when I did my rankings, 
Jacob Harris was a guy who popped in my system, but I didn't know who he was. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And why, why does my database like him so much? And I kind of ignored it until I started watching some film um, after he was getting some training camp hype. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy can catch. So here's the thing. Um, when you have a receiver, or sorry, a tight end, we have a tight end who's weighing 220 pounds. That guy's not going to do a lot of block. That tells you the Rams brought him in to catch the ball, right? And so, so you've got this guy who weighs 220. I think he runs a four or five. Um, and when he's running that fast and he's playing tight end, he's not big enough to block. That means he's going to be catching the ball. He looks good. He's got everything that I like. He, was, he scored third in my uh, – he was my third highest scoring tight end out of rookies. And, and I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna get work him in, in in year one. I don't think he's gonna be your top six guys. Like outside of that, I don't really care much for any tight ends, really, uh, to be honest. But yeah, I, I think he works in in year one. I think I think he's gonna be good. I just it's not a it, it, this is more of a dynasty take. Jacob Harris for the future, I love for redraft. I think he'll go over that points threshold, but I don't think uh, it'll be by a significant amount. Yeah, I. I mean, for dynasty, it's it's very fair. I don't I don't have much to. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to say that Jacob Harris is going to be a bust in dynasty because that's just really dumb. Uh, the biggest issue I see for him this year is Bryson Hopkins, who was their fourth round draft pick, the Rams' fourth round draft pick in 2020, who does have the size to be a blocking tight end and is still got a decent height. Doesn't have the profile receiving wise that that Harris has but he definitely is going to be there. And it, it could be looking at a future in the next year or two where it's going to be Hopkins and Harris and Harris is going to be the split end kind of taking that Gerald Everett-esque role. And Hopkins is going to have that Higby type role moving forward. I don't think Higby's going to be on the team much longer. Actually, did they just extend Higby? I, I don't know. Um, Let me double check what Higby is. The same. It's almost, it's, all, it's so interesting that they, they extended they him drafted such a small wide receiver. And then I, don't, I think we're talking about him. So I don't want to ruin it, but just their their offenses i think it's gonna be crazy good this year it's gonna be really fun yeah so they have higby until 2023 season but they have a dead cap hit of a million dollars after this year so i think not that they're necessarily going to drop higby but i think there's a likelihood that they're going to restructure him and if they don't they may just cut him because i'm not sure he's good enough to deserves six million dollars against the cap um but we'll see we'll see so okay yeah i think i think it's really easy to say we're going to go over on receptions for jacob harris just because 10 receptions in a 17 game season is easy and we've seen how they want to use him in the in preseason which is just a lot of fades and a lot of mismatches which is going to be exciting so i'll go over on touchdowns i think it's likely he goes and catches two to three touchdowns this year which should put him over on fantasy points as well because two or three touchdowns is 18 points. And so you're three fourths of the way to 30 points there. All right. So we're going to get, we're going to get into two, two question. Yes. Quick answer. Is this this a fantasy driven podcast? Yes. Okay. Thought so. So I will say that at value and with the landscape of tight ends, I'm I'm definitely trying to get, grab this guy because he's going so late. It's not going to hurt you to grab him. Um, uh, it depends on how deep your roster is, actually. Assuming it's a deep redraft roster, I am very comfortable grabbing him at ADP, probably a little bit earlier. Well, the nice thing, too, in his dynasty is you should have a taxi, and Jacob Harris is the type of guy oh, you want yeah. in the taxi, right? 
Well, so you, I wouldn't be surprised if he, I wouldn't be surprised if he popped. I wouldn't expect it this year. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, what I would say exactly. But I mean, so if we're going to dive into the Rams' offense, which we are right now, because the NFC West is going to be such a fun competition, they're not going to be running at the same clip they were last year, and that's just because they don't have Cam Akers, and it's been shown reading the tea leaves that they don't want to give Darrell Henderson the lion's share of oh. opportunity. And they, they just showed that. And it, there's a lot of theories out there. One of my favorite ones is that they, that uh, Sean McVay didn't want Henderson, but Les Snead did. And so Snead forced the pick and Hender, or McVay said, well, we're going to take the actual running back one of our team in 2020. And which is probably why they don't want to bring in another veteran is because they don't want to be encroaching on Cam Akers territory if I'm just writing out a narrative. But they also drafted Tutu Atwell, which a person that has the body mass weight of a weight that I can bench for reps causes me concern. And I don't bench a lot of weight. Uh, So if I can put you up for reps more than five and I'm concerned and I can put Tutu up, Tutu's weight up for more than five reps. So I'm concerned. A strong gust of wind can knock this man over. Jake, his... Current projections are 21 receptions for 276 yards, one and a half touchdowns for 56.7 fantasy points. What, how are they going to keep this man safe? How are they going to keep him from being a tumbleweed on a desert or on a Western flick movie flick, slowly rolling away? What are they going to do to protect him and then try and sell me to, too? Cause I'm pretty far out on this guy. All right. So, so first off, uh, since you're making jokes, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring bring one that I saw somewhere on Twitter. Somebody was um, using tutus as a weight metric. Uh, <laughs> I weigh three tutus or three point five tutus, and I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it's like um, stones. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So it was a form of measuring weight, and I thought that was hilarious. Um, so interestingly, uh, tutu in my model scores as the seventh ranked wide receiver. Okay. That's, uh, but it makes sense though. Cause he had a great college career. Like his right. production profile is insane. Sure. And, but I'm also with you. So I, I hate to punish a player for size, right? I really do. I, I'm a, I try and be as objective as possible. When I build these models, I say, okay, this is not meant to be subjective. It's objective. Data tells us this. I need to follow the data, especially whenever there's no, like, there's no reason to skew the data in, in regards to, maybe didn't play a full season or all his teammates were injured. There's no, there's no contextual thing that says uh, he shouldn't be ranked the way, the way he is. However, with that said, how many sample sizes of receivers weighing 155 pounds NFL exist? So that says one thing that speaks to his talent because he's probably one of the, I don't know, I'm guessing five, five NFL players that have weighed that light to make it to the NFL. And he made it as a second round draft pick, right? So it's his second round draft pick that tells us that the Rams really liked him. And, and obviously, you know, we all love to make the comparison to the fast, small, quick guy like Tyreek Hill. That's, that's the only comparison. Like that's the only thing that would really justify this, but is his weight really does scare me because 155 is tiny. So tiny. I, he scored as the seventh, which is actually higher than Devonte Smith, but <laughs> I have him ranked at um, as my 10th and that's by, it's kind of like the that's that's like a teardrop after that. So he's like uh, the bottom of tier two, maybe tier three, depending on how I defined it. Just um, 
sorry, I, I didn't want to yeah. cut. I didn't want to cut fine. you off, but I I had a inspiration of idea, and just for reference of why one fifty five is such a concern to me, the best line. Well, one of the best linebackers at NFC, Bobby Wagner, weighs two hundred and forty one pounds, which is ninety pounds more than Tutu Atwell. Ninety That's a lot, yeah, ninety pounds. So that is my concern with him, and it's not that I think that. I'm not trying to project injury and I'm not saying that he's going to get injured, but I'm just saying that the likelihood that this player is going to be fantasy successful for a long period of time is unlikely, but it doesn't I don't know it. that it is. That's the exactly, that's so exactly. Weird. Like it could be, like it could be. And so like what they need to do to keep Tutu as a fantasy successful person, in my opinion, is they need to get him into space and take that Tavon Austin role, which the Rams as an organization, not Sean McVay, but the Rams as the organization were very familiar with that type of exactly gadget. Exactly what I player. was about to say. And so, so what, what we're looking for is we don't have a good track record with the Rams. Dan Jefferson, yikes. Josh Reynolds, yikes. Tutu Atwell. All right. So what are we going to do? How are they going to be able to implement Tutu Atwell into that offense, Jake? I mean, it's exactly that, man. You're getting this guy moving. He's going to be – I'm sure he's going to be running some sweeps. They're going to be sending him in motion. They're, I mean, because he is so small, they're trying to – I think they're going to use him to open up the field um, more, I guess, horizontally, you know, because he's trying – you're trying to bring – have the defense focus in on different things rather, rather than just being a vertical or like a crossing route. I think they're going to just try and get eyes on him to distract. But, I mean, it's just crazy because he's so small – but he, yeah, again, he's a second round draft pick. He was a early declare and he's also, um, his dominator rating was really high and that all of that stuff scores really well. Also, Louisville is not a scrub school. Like they, ACC is not terrible. It, he played against good competition. So yeah. it's just, I hate his size, but this is just a wait and see. I, I don't see him doing a whole lot this year. Um, I'm, I don't know. I want to get behind it, but it's, it's, I just can't. That's yeah. Where I'm at. I mean, you know where I'm going to go over? I'm going to go over rushes because they don't give him any rushes. What I think is a colossal mistake. Right now they're statting him out for 13.14 yards per reception. I just, I don't see that. Uh, he ran a 4-4. So it's possible they're going to line him up during like their four wide receiver sets and just have him in the slot running go routes and see if they can pull the safety off to take some cover from Woods and Cup and maybe he can score on one of those. But I I think I'm gonna go over on his rushing and under on his receiving here, uh just to stay in the, the game sphere. Uh, and sure. I, ironically, uh <laughs> Dwayne Eskridge of the Seattle Seahawks. Well hold on, there's one more we gotta touch on from uh the Rams. Okay, go ahead. I didn't I didn't write it down, but um but he popped yesterday, and it's a guy that I've been pretty high on. I think I think you actually like the guy as well. You don't like him? Is this funky? Yes, Jake Good Funk. Board. Okay, so Jake Funk, uh, the injuries are there, no doubt about it, and that's scary. But but again, you know, if we're talking dynasty, I don't know what you uh, I don't know what you primarily talk about on this podcast. Is it redraft or dynasty? Uh, given that it's all rookies, it's pretty much mostly uh, dynasty. Okay, perfect um jake funk is basically free and he's in one of those backfields that you were just describing where i didn't know that about um sean mcveigh and daryl henderson's relationship i don't know if that's a real thing i don't know if that's like speculation but 
But again, one thing that I have recently learned, one of my followers actually, who I think he only got like a hundred followers, Tariq, I can't remember his last name, brought this to my attention and I loved it. It was such an interesting point um, talking about ambiguous backfields. And, and I hate ambiguous backfields because I want to know who's starting. But if you have an ambiguous backfield and you're, and this is kind of like the, the uh, perspective I brought, you have an, you have an ambiguous backfield like hell, the Rams uh, now, um, Dolphins, 49ers, you name it. You And you see the situation where it's primarily veterans. Veterans have touched the field. We know what they're capable of. But when an ambiguous backfield brings in a rookie, and that rookie, in my opinion, here's what I loved about Jake Funk, 8.7 yards per carry. That's insane. I'm pretty sure that was the highest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the highest of this class. Um, Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure, though. It's top so, three, I think, at least. So Jake Funk, he scores. I mean, now his definitely it's slightly skewed because of that um, that eight point seven yards per carry. But that's something that matters. He just didn't have a ton of touches. That was probably two hundred or something like that. Maybe his career. I don't know. He had that off of uh, in twenty twenty. He had sixty rush attempts for five hundred and sixteen yards. Yeah. So that's not that's not yeah that's not a time like that's that's meaningful. It's not 10, that's 60. 60 is a meaningful sample size. Mm-hmm. So you got a guy that can produce stepping into a backfield. I'm not worried about Xavier Jones. I'm really not. Um, again, if he if he was good enough last year, he would touch the back, uh, he would touch the ball. He didn't. But now we're looking at <laughs> Jake Funk, a guy averaging 8.7 yards per carry. And guess what? He just averaged eight in his last preseason game. Granted, I know it's preseason, but it's affirmation. It's like, okay, you saw this guy was capable in college. What's he going to do in the NFL? Well, his first sample size, we have eight point, or sorry, eight yards per carry. And it wasn't like he had a long run. His longest run was 16 yards. So you remove his, his skew, it's still a good average. So Jake Funk is free. Now, this is not a, a, this is not a, a redraft buy. This is a late-round stash in Dynasty because at value, he's free. And his upside, he could be touching the ball, like, immediately. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that. I love to uh, love when I go check stats and I see, okay, this guy popped and everyone's scared of his hamstrings. I, I have like a, he's on my 32 man league, right? And he's on my bench. I'm a guy is like, he averaged 8.7 yards per carry. He's not going to start over Aaron Jones or whoever, or DeAndre Swift. Somebody come get this guy. He's like, he's worth the stash and mm-hmm. I don't have the room for him. And people, I, I said, his upside, I'm like, guys, his upside's great. Like, I know he's he's injury prone. I'm not asking for a first round pick. Like, I just need something that's like similar upside or something. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, they like um, were like kind of scoffed at the fact that I said <laughs> his upside was so high. I'm like, dude, there you have one sample size and you have 60 touches from college. That's not terrible. But that's my tangent on Jake Funk. No, I, uh, he's worth the shot, very least to be put on your roster, your dynasty of uh, 20% of your dynasty roster should be continually be churning and it should be churning young, high upside exactly. running. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it should be doing. Your taxi squad should be full of tight ends and running backs. Love that. Do not stash wide receivers because the likelihood they're going to pan out is very likely. And if they, and this is a percentage wise, I'd be willing to bet isn't great. Uh, the little tidbit about Henderson 
and McVeigh, I believe, was from The Ringer, where Craig Horlbeck was the producer of Sean McVeigh's Flying Coach. Uh, so I think I, if I have my information proper, I think that's where that information train led. Sure. It's on The Ringer. I strongly suggest you guys listen to that podcast with Danny Kelly, Craig Horlbeck, and the other Craig. I forget what it is. Um, very, very good. Danny Heifetz. There it is. Uh, that being said, Dwayne Eskridge was the 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 panic pick of the Seattle Seahawks. This is the pick that truly pissed me off because the Seattle Seahawks don't have plan, don't have a plan. The Seattle Seahawks don't have a plan for when they can't trade back and they trade back because they recognize they're not that good at drafting. So they just use a spray and pray approach. And so when they can't, they take players like Dwayne Eskridge. Fifth year player out of Western Michigan. This is really nothing against Dwayne Eskridge and more against this our draft pick and when it is. And people are saying it's indicative of Seattle wanting to pass more. I tell them to go get bent. That's just not how this works for the Seattle team, especially with the atrocious offense. They have him standard out fantasy pros. That is for one and a half rush attempts for 8.1 yards, 33 receptions for 403 yards, three touchdowns, no fumbles for 91 fantasy points. Now it is important to mention here, Jake, before we get into his overs and unders, he is just now finally starting to get worked back into the season because he had an eat meat, a toe injury that's kept him out for about three or four weeks, which as we know with our rookies is a pretty big deal because the more preseason they miss, the longer it's going to take them to get actually into regular seat or into like real football shape. So how are you feeling about these projections here? You know, I think this one might be, I didn't expect to say this. I, I think this one might be a little ambitious. I think it's interesting that, they have Eskridge uh, expected. It was like fifty more points than not fifty. It's like forty-five more points than Tutu Atwell, who was a second-round draft pick. And like the draft capital is not everything, but it tells you how like a, a team plans to utilize a player. Typically, you know, um, I just yeah, I'm, I've never been a big Dwayne Eskridge fan. I think he's got like good hands. Uh, I think he's decent at creating separation, but there's nothing that, uh, that about him that I'm like I want this guy. Um, I, I think under, I think under 91 fantasy points is what I would call here. Now I, I granted opportunities big and I think he's, he steps into a better opportunity. I think two, two is just going to create himself more opportunities because of his skill set. I don't, I'm not impressed with Dwayne Eskridge. Yeah. I, you know, it almost feels that they're projecting him to get into that David Moore role, which everything out of camp has been that it's not Dwayne Eskridge getting that third round. Uh, or excuse me, that third ride receiver role, but it's going to be uh, John or Sua or someone along those lines, although he did just get injured. Yeah, so Dwayne Eskridge, round two wide receiver, panic pick. I just, I don't see it. I just don't, I don't see it for him. I don't, I don't see 400 receiving yards, 33 receptions he could probably beat. I don't see him this year, especially with all the time that he's missed getting implemented into that offense. If I had to guess, I'd go over on rushing yards and rushing attempts because that's just an easy one to a higher likelihood of hitting, really. We will move along to Mr. Trey Sermon, the Ohio State, Oklahoma Sooner prodigy, depending who you talk to. I don't know, it really depends. He's a really high, hotly contested, or was at least a hotly contested player. 
a lot of folks like to talk trash and a lot of folks like to prop this one up. It's going to be interesting to see how he goes. They have him for 145 rushing attempts for 660 yards, five rushing touchdowns, 19 receptions for 158 yards, one receiving touchdown, two fumbles for 135 fantasy points in a PPR. Jake, does that kind of sound close? I'm curious. Have you seen all of my stuff on Trey Sermon? Uh, I can't say it comes to memory. Okay. No. Okay. Trey Sermon is one of my favorite prospects to talk about, probably because I feel differently about him than a lot of people. I am very bullish on Trey Sermon. And in fact, I've wrote an article on it. If you want to find it, it's on ball blast, but I will summarize it. And, and I'm going to give you the quick synopsis. So Trey Sermon, um, there's so much I love about him. Uh, one that he improved drastically at Ohio State. What's cool about that is Ohio State ran a spread offense with a mobile quarterback named Justin Fields. Some of you have probably heard of him, quarterback for uh, the Bears now, rookie. Um, guess who the 49ers just drafted? A mobile quarterback named Trey Lance, who's also going to be running a spread offense. So you've got a running back whose best year was running a spread offense, probably similar to what. 49ers are going to do in, in some facet. I'm not going to say it's going to be the exact same, but a spread offense, spread offense. And um, Trey Sermon looked really good last year. He looked like a different running back. And this is not, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a film guy, but I always watch film before I do analytics. I like to see if they align. And Trey Sermon is one of my favorite running backs on film. I thought he looked like a guy who, you know, who looked hungry per se. Um, he looked like he wanted it and he, he looked physical. He made guys miss, and I loved it. And then on the, the analytical side, he scored pretty damn well as, uh, also. So he was my fourth-ranked running back this year, above Michael Carter, Kenneth Gainwell. A lot of people had them going higher. But uh, here's the thing that I like the most about – here's why I have Trey, Trey Sermon ranked higher. When we think about fantasy football, we want a three-down back. Three-down backs in the NFL are typically guys weighing at least 215 pounds. Not always. But in almost all cases, the lead back who's getting the majority of the workload has the size to do so. Michael Carter and Kenneth Gainwell, I think they both sit around 205. And if you go look at the last two years of data, top 25 players for running backs, excuse me, sorry, top 20, but it ends up being top, there's like 25 if you look at two years. All of the guys who made that list as running backs who weighed under, I can't remember if it was 200 or 205 pounds. All, all were elite pass catchers. Okay. So that's cool. But there were only five. Only five guys made that list weighing 205 or less. So here we have Trey, uh, Trey Sermon, who actually steps into an opportunity to become a three-down back. He's in that ambiguous backfield we were just talking about. I don't care what anybody says about Raheem Mostert. He's in, he's turning, he is 29. He'll be turning 30, I think, next year. He's on the last year of his contract. Is that correct? I'll double check that. I think he's, he's definitely nearing his last year of his contract for sure. He's also pretty cheap to cut. Um, and Trace Herman's looked good. Uh, people talk about the committee backfield, and that's just not the case. Shanahan, if you go look at his coaching career, uh, I dug all the way back to 2008. And since he's been an offensive coordinator or head coach, he's had a running back go over 937 yards. I remember that number specifically. 
I think it's eight times. Okay, so half the time he's had that guy, which says that that's a that's a workhorse running back, right? So he's not afraid to do that. And in fact, one of his best um, best coaching years from an offense was a situation that he's trying to recreate uh, with RG three and Alfred Morris. I think Alfred Morris had fourteen hundred rushing yards that year. So those two paired were a nice tandem and similar. To, I'm I'm hoping similar to what Trey Lance and Trey Sermon do, but Trey Sermon. It's all about opportunity, and if you have the opportunity and skill set and ADP, uh, that person can become what I call a league winner. So it's those three metrics specifically. Is he good? Does he have the opportunity to take over the, the full workload? And um, is his ADP fairly low? And it is. He's being treated as – I think he's being drafted as the 39th running back or 37th, something like that. He is at – like he – could be the number one running back in that backfield and getting three, you know, be a three down back. So Trey Sermon's a guy I love. I have him in a lot of leagues. He's not, he's not as good as the top three. I'm not saying that, but he steps into better opportunity than Javante steps in a better opportunity than, um, than ETN. So for a redraft, I, I actually have Sermon ranked higher than those two. And a lot of people don't, but it's all about the opportunity. It's an ambiguous backfield. And I think Aaron's a starting job. So that was my huge tangent. I think Trey Sermon's the rookie running back two for redraft, four for dynasty, and and I think he's going to go well over 135 fantasy points. It's hard to, it's really hard to fight you on this because I really just feel strongly about it. The only thing that's going to keep him off the field, well, it's really nothing's going to keep him off the field because Shanahan likes to kind of rock that two-headed back approach, and he feels comfortable you know, having two running backs carry majority. And I think it's safe to say that Trey Sermon's going to get the nod over Wayne Gallman. And when Moster gets, loses time on the field because he does every season, the last three years, he's missed at least five games. Uh, ironically, two of those years he missed, he played nine games and eight games. And then one of those years he played 16 games. I think it's safe to say that Mostert's going to open up opportunity for Sermon and Gallman and Jeff Wilson and Jamichael Heisty and Elijah Mitchell, all to kind of get that opportunity to buy for that number two role. But looking at draft capital also, and what we've seen from Trey Sermon, it's I feel comfortable saying he's probably going to get opportunity before all of those players, maybe not Wayne Gallman. See, I guess I didn't clarify. I think he's going to be the starting running back. I think he's starting over oh, Mostert. Dear God. And, and the part, yeah, I forgot to, um, I guess I should have specified. The, my most intriguing data on this is, is this selling point. There is a quote, recent quote, from Kyle Shanahan that says this. Kyle Shanahan stated, it's been proven that you can get, we can assume productive is what he meant here, running backs in later rounds. Okay, it's been proven. He's done it. So why, why do you want to get Trey Sermon in the third? And why do you trade up to get a guy when you've told us that you can get guys later? That means he likes Trey Sermon. He traded up to get a guy when he says you can get guys later. He said that. So he wants Trey Sermon. He likes Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon looks good in camp. He's been running with the ones. I'm telling you, I really think this is his backfield. Not Mostert's. I really think, dude, Mostert's on his fifth team. He just now is getting the job done. And I think that's because of a scheme. I think he's the product yeah. of a good scheme. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. I, he's definitely the product of a good scheme. It's not a, less about him and more about the what is being able to be done itself, which is why 
Sermon's got so much upside. I think this year, 145 rush attempts this season. It's obvious you're going to go over that. That's um, not math there. That's just about over nine carries a game. I think he's going to smash that just on a season average. 666 yards is at a four and a half yards per carry clip on eight and a half carries a game. I don't know if I would well, actually, it's a, I think like the average yards per carry for the San Francisco running backs as a total was like 4.6. So he's going to go over that. He's probably going over rushing touchdowns. Absolutely going to go over receptions. So yeah. Okay. I'll go over on all this for sermon. I'm fine with that. I, I really don't have any hesitation with him in dynasty. I had him easily over Michael Carter and I still think I will. Nothing's going to change that. A lot of his, redraft and seasonal value just kind of depends on how your team is shaping out trey sermon's one of those guys where those of my friends that like to go anchor running back or zero running back trey sermon gus edwards philip Lindsay, players in that caliber and range those are the players that are going to be making your bread and butter those are the players that are going to be staking your team into the playoffs and the championship based off your minimal early running back approach Though, I, for the record, I, I would not necessarily suggest going zero running back. At, no, least get, at least get one premier running back. Dear God, please, just just at least get one, please. Or three, preferably three. Yeah, that's how uh, I am too. Preferably three. All right, let's keep whipping on through. Let's go to Rondale Moore. This is, the NFC West is just the, the, the division of undersized and undervalued players. Cool. Absolutely. It's, it's beautiful, and I have a special place in my heart for it. So Rondale Moore, the Purdue product, the man, the myth, the legend. One rush attempt for 6.1 yards. That's that's I, wrong. That's incredibly disrespectful. Uh, 54 receptions, wrong. 664 yards, wrong. 3.6 touchdowns, whatever. 1.2 fumbles, whatever. 140 fantasy points. Why does fantasy pros hate Rondale Moore, Jake? Dude, that's a question I don't know the answer to. I, I, I'm not in love with Rondell, but I do like him. Now, now, let me clarify. Like, I didn't say that about the last two prospects. Rondell Moore's ranked higher than Tutu. He's ranked higher than, um, who did we just talk, Dwayne Eskridge. So uh, Rondell Moore comes in as my sixth-ranked receiver. And I like Rondell, but, man, they're talking about A.J. Green looks like he's in prime form. And guess who said that? It's a guy who tells us often that a player needs to improve, and that was DeAndre Hopkins one of the goats receivers in the NFL. He said, AJ green looks like he's in his prime. You've got AJ green looking like he's in his prime. He's going to draw targets. He drew a ton of targets last year. You got Deandre Hopkins. Who's an absolute stud. And I like Rondell, but, but he, I think he's, I don't know if he's the second or third target. Uh, I don't know if he's the second or third most targeted wide receiver. And that's the part that makes me slightly hesitant because it's about opportunity. He's going to be on the field, but I don't know. I, I like him. Um, and redraft. I don't know where I want to take him. I, I don't, I don't think I, mean, I have any Rondell more honestly in any leagues and I'm in 20, but Jesus, that's a lot. I want my, I want my fiance to hear that so she can stop yelling at me. <laughs> Yeah, let me let me let me tell you Rondale Moore. Let me sell you on a little Rondale Moore okay. thing. Rondale Moore has been the most highly targeted wide receiver both preseason games in which he's been playing with the ones. Now, 
I want to make the credit that this is when this is with Christian Kirk week one, week two. I don't believe Christian Kirk was playing with that offense. Also without DeAndre Hopkins and Chase Edmonds and uh, James Conner. So there's was AJ Green playing. Well, no, but AJ Green's all still a dinosaur. So I don't really care about AJ okay. Green. Uh, I I am of the I am of the mindset that AJ Green's going to hold little fantasy value this year, which okay. is why I'm so excited about Rondale Moore. Because what it comes down to is Rondale Moore, if you just extrapolate, he got five targets in those two games. Not Those are not full games, but let's just pretend he's going to average five targets a game. Let's say he catches 65% of those catches. That's going to give him just about 3.25 catch, catches a game, which if you extrapolate over a, four, a 17 game sample size, that's going to be about 55 receptions. So I think already he's over the receptions they have him statted out for. And then if I think you that's add, fair, yeah, I, I think that right. And, and so 55 receptions is, I would say like his basement floor, not his floor, but like basement. And then you add in what you're expecting yards per catch. I didn't do the math for that, but it's safe to say that he's going to be one of the more yak positive wide receivers in this class, just because of what we know. He's a shifty guy. He's able to put on the burners. He showed it in Purdue. He's shown it on the field already at, at, at In the preseason games, I'm not concerned about that necessarily. I don't don't feel like he's going to have his yak limited compared to what we saw at Purdue. So you have him in the slot. You got Kirk in the slot. You got A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins out wide. Christian Kirk, is this is his last year to prove that he is a fantasy guy. So out on Christian. which Which you should be. You should be. Because his value is nothing. And it, he is one of those rare guys with an 18-year-old breakout age and a punt returning pedigree and all of this. He's, a, he's one of those rare people that am, am metrics miss for whatever reason, whether it be Larry Fitzgerald or his mentality or his inability to grasp the playbook or whatever. He just hasn't grasped it. His NFL career is going to hinge on this year. So it's going to be interesting to see what we get out of him. We've seen a flash in preseason. So Already, it's safe to say Rondale Moore is going to be getting one of their dime cornerbacks, which is not a premier level quality cornerback. So you're going to put on one of the team's dime corner corners, and you're going to have him try and guard Rondale Moore, who is a top tier route running wide receiver who has a great release and is fast as fuck. I'm going to go over on all of these projections because I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be passing more. I think they're going to be running plays at a very high clip this season. And even though Cliff Kingsbury fails his team every single season to captivate their ceiling, I'm excited for what Rondale Moore can give. I've been all in on Rondale Moore. I still am in on Rondale Moore. He is a player that I'm happy to take in the 15th round on my redraft leagues and just see if I can catch lightning in the bottle. It is worth noting in non-PPR leagues, that makes it a little more difficult just for the record. So, so do you know where he's being drafted? Okay. And so that's the problem with me. It's not that I don't like Rondell Moore, but right after him, they're not right after two players after you have Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall, which I love both of. And so they're being drafted lower and I have them ranked higher. So that's why I'm not walking away with much Rondell. Now, if you're playing with a bunch of nerds who, who really know football Terrace might not be there, and Rashad might not be there. And so at that point, I would be comfortable taking Rondell, but I'm not comfortable taking Rondell over Terrace or Rashad. 
Yeah, I well, Bateman, I'm comfortable taking him over because Bateman, I don't think... Well, with, should... the, with the redraft entry, yeah, different, different. Right, yeah, so for strictly redraft, I'd, I'd say Bateman Fair. should probably shouldn't be drafted strictly because, or only if you can stash him on your IR. Like, I'm not going to stash, I'm not going to keep him on my bench uh, and take up a spot that I could be using to grab some lightning in a bottle. I can't Imagine. blame you for passing on him there, but if you're looking at wide receivers in this it's range... Cool. Dude, bro, uh, there's no way in hell I'm taking Jameson Crowder over Rashad no. or Terrace. And, and not Rondell either. No. Oh, uh, my gosh, that's awful. Out of this list, I would still – okay, Elijah Moore, Jalen Rager, yes, yes. Yeah. And then my next pick would be Terrace Marshall out of this list. And then after Terrace yeah. would be Rondale, quite frankly. Yeah, so, right. okay. I mean, I think we can agree Rondale Moore is going to be – I think he's fair at value. And yeah. I think I can see him out outperforming the projections we discussed. Yeah. Which is which is all that I really care about year one because if you can outperform these projections, then that means that his value is going to grow in dynasty. Because most people just look at how they did at the end of the year and how they are projected and kind of find the little analysis that way. The last person we're talking about is Trey Lance. Apparently, has the second most easiest strength of schedule at quarterback, which I guess is a thing. Uh, Trey Lance is going to be a quarterback of the four Niners San Francisco's sometime this season. Fantasy pros has him statted out for 419 attempts, 272 completions, 3,163 yards, 11 interceptions, 20 passing, passing touchdowns, 78 rush attempts for 395 yards, three rushing touchdowns, four fumbles for a total of 236 fantasy points. When do you think Trey Lance is going to start for the San Francisco 49ers, Jake? Because that's going to be how you feel about this line here. It's tough. So so I will say, on average, rookie quarterbacks are starting by week eight based on historical data. So that's average, and they're starting by then. So I don't know, man. Like Jimmy, it, Jimmy's not been terrible. He's just not been good he's just an average guy so if they're winning i could see them riding it out but the moment that he costs them a game i think that's when he gets pulled they can't be what more than four games yeah maybe maybe i don't know he's he's garoppolo's not terrible i I think dalton's terrible and and fields is going to start sooner and later but garoppolo's an average quarterback and so i don't know i I think trey lance is going to it's it, that's Trey Lance will scare defenses more because he's such a, a dual threat and he's got such a strong arm. He's going to be able to open up the field in ways that Garoppolo can. And, and you have to take that into consideration. So here's, here's what I say about rookie quarterbacks. So the bust rate is 40%. That's based on 40% of all, not, not all 40% of first round quarterbacks end up being bust drafted in real football, not fantasy football. 40% of NFL draft quarterbacks who are drafted in the first round end up being bust. That's based on all pro years, pro bowls, uh, longevity of career. And so that number scares me a lot, especially for fantasy football. Now, that means that two, hypothetically, two of the five of these guys are going to be bust. And I don't know which two. And, and the data on quarterbacks is so difficult. So I really just don't know what to think here I, I i like his upside it's it's immense but it, it's you know it's a quarterback his floor could be nothing you know he could he could start and be terrible and that'd be it the thing that scares me most about trey lance is 
how many how many passing attempts did he have? It was something silly low. At in North, no, North, at Dakota, North Dakota State, I think yeah. he had like 219 pass attempts, which is very low. That's how and, many Joe. I think Joe Burrow like surpassed that halfway through his 2020 season, just for reference. Right. So it's just scary. Uh, he's he's thrown some beautiful passes, but I think he went four for 15 in his first preseason game. And I don't panic over that. But again, you know, like with quarterbacks, it's just like I just don't know who it's going to be. It was it was four for 15. I'm pretty sure, but. But well, I, I know he had a few drops. But... Yeah, it, the uh, the for whatever reason the rookie quarterbacks have been treated very unfairly by their wide receivers. They've been having a bunch of drops lately. The crux is is so someone pissed me off on Twitter and they motivated me to do this research to show them that they're wrong, which is kind of how most of these interactions go when I go deep into something. It's just to prove that this person's wrong and. It's the worst when when you end up proving yourself wrong, though. <laughs> I mean, it, it it feels horrible, but I also appreciate that because it right, means agreed. that you know I'm growing, et cetera, et cetera, right? But I went back all the way to 2002, which is the year that Phil Rivers sat two years when he was drafted the top five pick, and I looked at every single quarterback that was drafted in the first five picks of the NFL and how many games it took them to start. In over 20 years, the average was 3.4 games. So statistically speaking, we're looking at Trey Lance seeing the field around week four. I think the argument for that is that Trey Lance offers a ceiling to the San Francisco 49ers offense that Jimmy Garoppolo just cannot offer. He does. He, he cannot offer that type of ceiling. He can offer a ceiling, just not that type of ceiling. So the 49ers play the Lions week one, which is a win. The Eagles week two, which is a win. Then they play the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. I find it extraordinarily likely the 49ers could lose to the Packers and lose to the Seahawks. In week five, Trey Lance is starting against the Cardinals because Jimmy Garoppolo just dropped two games they probably should have won. That gets me so excited. And that is, <laughs> yeah, that is, that is the end. If they lose to the Packers and they do everything right, it's going to be a Sunday night game, so it's going to be high profile. Everyone's going to be watching. What is the likelihood that Sean or not Sean, Kyle Shanahan pulls the plug on Jimmy Garoppolo if they do everything right and they just can't win against the Packers, knowing they'll probably see them in the playoffs? So, um, so I guess I don't know. Like, there has to be some more context because like, doing everything right in is different than Jimmy G being mediocre or like Jimmy G like having a game. Like, if Jimmy G has a game and they still lose. I don't. I don't think you can pull him. Jimmy G is just eh, just mediocre, just what he's always been. Then I think, okay, it's like, all right, dude, this is a top tier NFC, NFC team. You've been starter for a while, and you're you've just you've just shown us that you can't get it done. So now we got to give our guy a try. Now it's his turn to to see what he can do because we have to be able to beat these elite teams. And you just showed that you can't. He's already shown that he can't. You know. Not, not that he doesn't do well, but he's just not an elite quarterback by any, any facet. I agree. I, so these these projections have him about playing about fourteen games, which is kind of about where that those numbers tell us. Um, yeah, I mean they look good to me, quite frankly, just from a projection standpoint. I think overall, they what I'm seeing is a relatively solid. I don't see where I would go under them at a 64% complete completion rate. I think that's a little low. So I'd probably go over on his passing completions, probably closer to 300 than 270. 
rushing yards. It's hard to tell, but probably going to go over, probably over on rushing touchdowns as well. I I'm excited for this one. I think he has a legitimate opportunity to be the quarterback one of this class from a fantasy perspective, uh, just based on his rushing and his tools around him. It would require Trevor Lawrence to falter and Justin Fields to be stuck in the naggy purgatory. But I think there's a path to seeing Lance to being quarterback one. Hard to argue that, man. Uh, quarterbacks just, I'm just so. They're tough. They make me nervous. Quarterbacks Absolutely. make me very nervous. They should. They should make me Because it's not just about talentless quarterbacks. It's about development, being able to pick up a playbook, and coaching. Yeah. So that makes me so nervous. And and what's in between the head, right? The Josh Rosens and the, sure. Dwayne, the Dwayne Haskins. It's yeah. just about that as well. Yeah. Okay, Jake, thank you so much for coming on, man. This is a blast. I had a really good time breaking down the NSC West with you. This is a lot of fun because this is my division. Most of the Seahawks are in my home team. And so it's always fun to kind of get an opportunity to talk about them without having to absolutely shit on them because that's my obligatory obligation. Uh, before you go, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Any lasting take or memory or piece of information you want them to consider on after this podcast ends and then where they can find your stuff at again? Uh, sure. Uh, nothing, nothing that I haven't already mentioned, but I engage everybody on Twitter as long as you're respectful. If you want to know any type of methodology or you have a question as to why I assess a player a certain way, just send me a message, something on, you can just respond. To, you can respond to a tweet. You can message me. It doesn't matter. I try and talk to everybody. I enjoy it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at dynasty underscore Jake. Um, I'm writing for Ball Blast and Yards Per. If you see any articles and want to retweet, awesome, or just read, that'd be great too. Um, and I'm getting ready to start my own podcast here soon. It's called Dynasty Kings. Uh, it'll be on all platforms, and I would love for you guys to check that out as well. Can't wait to give it a look. That should be a lot of fun. I will send all the links in the description, everybody. So please feel free to go and give it a look. Click on them. They're hyperlinked. They're ready, set, ready for you. Jake, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, you know where you can find me, BFF Sandman on Twitter, fantasyaffair.com for my redraft and dynasty, breakup finder for my Debbie, Debbie deep dive for my YouTube stuff with Brandon and Corey. I really appreciate you guys' time. I appreciate you spending it with us because time is important and the fact you choose to spend it with me and my guests means a lot to me eric and bradley miss you let's get you back soon my co-hosts thank you so much have a wonderful rest of your evening tell your loved ones that they are loved and go have yourself a hell rest of your day that's a podcast peace